Welcome to Emerge Everywhere. I'm Jennifer Tesher, journalist turned financial health champion. As founder and CEO of the Financial Health Network, I've spent my career breaking down silos by engaging with innovators across industries. And now I'm sharing those conversations with you. Meet the forward-thinking leaders challenging the status quo and unleashing creative new ways of improving financial health by seeing their customers, employees, and communities in 3D. My guest today is one of the most powerful women on Wall Street. Stephanie Cohen quickly rose through the ranks at Goldman Sachs to become one of the youngest members and one of only a few women on its management committee. As the bank's chief strategy officer, she brought clarity and focus, including a new commitment to diversity and inclusion. And just a few months ago, she was asked to jointly lead the bank's global consumer and wealth management division. Stephanie, welcome to Emerge Everywhere. Jennifer, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So you're just moving into this new role as global co-head of consumer and wealth management, and this puts you in charge of the Consumer Bank and Marcus by Goldman Sachs. Tell us a little bit about where you expect to focus most of your time and attention this year. Well, I think I'm biased, but I think I have the best job at Goldman Sachs. So I run, as you said, the consumer and wealth management business with my partner, Tucker York. And we are lucky because we get to spend our entire days focusing on people. Our goal in in our division and our people is to empower our clients and customers to achieve their financial goals and we think help them live better lives. And what we're doing in our division is we do it a couple of different ways. One, we have our advisor-led businesses. We call those businesses private wealth management and personal financial management. And then we have this great program where we work with companies on financial wellness for their employees, and we call that ECO. And then, as you mentioned, we have a digital consumer bank. And in that business, we have two different pieces. One, which is Marcus, which you mentioned, which helps customers save, borrow, and soon invest and spend. And then we have another part of that business where we embed our capabilities into the ecosystems of our partners. And that's basically what we're doing with with the Apple card. And and you asked me about the focus. We obviously have a lot going on and we're excited about so many things and hopefully we get to talk about them. But what I'm most looking forward to and where we're spending most of our time is, of course, on people because we're the division that focuses on people. And that starts with our own people. We have more than 7,500 people in our division globally. And at least I believe, and I think it's fair to say that they're amazing. It's been really fun getting to know all of them. Unfortunately, we've been getting to know most of them over Zoom, which is Mm -hmm. not nearly as much fun as getting to know people in person, but we get to visit people's homes through Zoom and see their kids and their pets. And so we're having a great time really engaging with our team. And then on, on the other side of the people equation is our clients and our customers. And that's really the most exciting thing about being able to run this division. One of the first people that called me after the announcement that I was going to be the co-head of this division was a friend, and they wanted help managing their financial lives, but not just theirs, but their family. And I really got to know them on a totally new level because they were talking to me about their lives and their goals and their dreams and how we could be helpful. And so the main thing I'm focused on is is people internally and externally. You know, I find that being in the business that I'm in, similar things happen at cocktail parties. I get random questions, financial questions, and um, I think it's clear that I am not a financial planner. (laughs) Uh, I'm not certified to be helpful, um, but I do. We do get a lot of um, 
a lot of questions. And, and it helps you to understand just how many people have these questions and how many people um, could really use help in managing their finances. It's, it's really complex. No question. Uh, my, my, my husband and I were talking about it last night. You know, we all still need a lot of help. It's complicated. Yeah. So you mentioned Marcus. You know, I think it's fair to say that four plus years ago when uh, Goldman Sachs launched Marcus, uh, it, it wasn't exactly what anyone was expecting to have a titan of Wall Street all of a sudden be, fo- be uh, building a business to focus on the financial needs of sort of everyday people. Uh, and it's been so fascinating to watch the, frankly, explosive growth of the business. Uh, you started out with a very simple proposition, which was let's help you refinance the credit card debt you have and really make sure that we're doing that in a high quality way that really puts the customer at the center. And since then, um, you've begun offering all kinds of things. You've begun offering uh, uh, credit beyond debt consolidation. You mentioned the Apple card. You mentioned the fact that soon uh, you're going to be launching a new set of investment options and opportunities. There's a savings uh, portion of Marcus. Talk a little bit about how Marcus has evolved and uh, where you see that business heading now that you've reached, say, adolescence. Um, well, um, I guess we're, we're, we're not going to be on the human schedule because we're, we're in our fifth year, not quite, quite adolescence, but, but as you said, like time really does fly. And, you know, it's interesting though, because when we, we think about it and we talk about it and we focus on every day, the the mission is still the same. We want to use simple, transparent, and valuable products to help people manage their financial lives. And as you mentioned, we've been through an evolution. And the reality is we had to start somewhere. So we started with loans, as you talked about, and we really felt like we were doing that in a different way and we're proud of what we launched. And then we did savings and then we did the Apple card. And this year we're gonna launch Marcus Invest and checking and a credit card partnership with General Motors. And so I think it's, it's embedded in your question, but I think it's a fair question. Like, how does this all fit together? And so what are we trying, what are we and what are we trying to become? And what we are and what we're trying to become is we have these two self-reinforcing strategies. One, we want to be the bank on your phone. We want to be your primary bank. And in doing that, we want to fundamentally change the way people experience financial services and in doing that, improve their lives. And that means that we need to go from being about a product to really having solutions and building holistic relationships with our customers. And by building that entire product suite, and making it something that's simple and transparent and easy for millions of people to access, we think we're going to do that. And then, because while we can access millions of customers, the way that we can really have impact is by taking those capabilities and embedding it into the ecosystems of our partners. And so we're doing that with, with Apple, but also we'll do it with General Motors. And then we've also done that with Walmart and Amazon in terms of providing credit to their merchants. And so we think this idea of really starting with a clean sheet of paper and building financial services that puts the customer at the center is something that we can do directly through through Marcus and we can do through our partners. And you talked about that mission and I wanna come back to it because it really is there every day when our people design our products. I know they're sitting there every day and they're trying to figure out how they can do things in a really complex financial world 
that are simple and transparent and valuable. And so hopefully people see when they, they go on our app or go on our website that our language is easy to read and clear. You know, we've put a bunch of features into our products to help people make better decisions. So whether that's direct disbursements in our loans, meaning when you sign up for a Marcus loan, we can directly pay off your other debts, things like auto pay. And by the way, like if you, you, you take all of that and everything else we're doing, we've now found that two out of three of our Marcus loans customers, after they take out a Marcus loan, their debt, overall debt does decline. And so what mm. we're trying to do is no different. We were just doing it with one product and now we're going to try to do it with a holistic product suite. So I heard you mention that you're getting ready to add a set of investments and tools for Marcus customers. And that makes me think about what we've been witnessing over the last couple of weeks with the GameStop frenzy. I'm wondering how you're viewing that experience in light of the coming launch of these new products for Marcus customers. Yeah, we're really excited about the Marcus Invest product, which will launch this quarter. And the idea really brings together the reason, by the way, why we have our consumer and wealth management businesses all together. So I talked a little bit about the all the businesses that, that Tucker and I are managing, that, and they include these advisor-led wealth management businesses that we have been in for decades. And if you look at those businesses, you know the thing that we have focused on in those businesses is providing holistic advice to individuals and to families, and to helping them get the right diversified portfolio for them. And by the way, that portfolio is different for different people. It's not a one-size-fits-all product and solution. And the great thing about what we're going to do with Marcus Invest and kind of in contrast to some of the what, what's been going on over the last couple of weeks is we're going to take the capability to provide this diversified portfolio from our advisor-led business into our digitally-led business and really bring the best of Goldman Sachs capabilities and products to hopefully millions of consumers. And we think that this is a great way for people to think about investing. You know, the reality is that investing can be intimidating for a lot of people. By the way, a lot of people who spend their careers in financial services and what we're hoping with Marcus Invest is through the content and through the ease with which People can go through the sign-up process and then the investment process. People are going to be able to interact with an investing in a, in a way that's understandable, but also is going to help them achieve whatever financial goals that they have. So we're really excited about our Marcus Invest launch, and we're really excited internally because it brings together the best of our wealth management business with the best of our consumer business. Yeah. You know, in this article that I had written, I talked about how originally the mob was after Wall Street, if you will, and then it turned on Robinhood. And Goldman is in such an interesting place because you're both Wall Street and you're a fintech in a way. Uh, it's, it's pretty amazing, amazing feat that you've managed to essentially build a homegrown digital business from inside um, this storied institution. Is the idea here that Marcus customers eventually become Goldman Sachs customers, if you will, right? That there's sort of a graduation approach and that um, if I engage folks early uh, with more basic financial products and services, they'll ultimately become the wealth management customers of tomorrow. So maybe um, if you'll indulge me, because I was chief strategy officer, we're going to we'll, we'll go up a level to the corporate strategy just for a second, um, which is that when we think about what we're trying to do at Goldman Sachs, it's 
to advance sustainable economic growth and financial opportunity. And so what we're really saying is we're really proud advocates for inclusive capitalism. And there's no better way to do that than to serve millions of consumers. And so, so that's really what we're trying to do with what we're doing in consumer and, and in Marcus. And, you know, the question, which is kind of an obvious question, is like, why now? Because consumer banking has been around for a really long time. And the reason why we decided now was the right time for Goldman Sachs is because, one, technology. We think technology is in a place where you can really have a bank on your phone. Secondly, culturally, I think people have gotten to a place, you know, and there's some good and there's some bad here where the phone is kind of really the center of everything that they do and how they interact with so many parts of their lives. And that has definitely been sped up by what's going on with COVID. And this kind of idea of people wanting to experience financial services deeply embedded into ecosystems rather than being this separate action. The reality is, you know, there's basically two different states where people have some money and they either want to figure out a way to invest it or save it or spend it, or they want to do something and they need to figure out how to pay for that. And we've turned that into a lot of different financial products. But the reality is we're just trying to solve those problems for consumers. And so we felt like now is the right time where we could then take our capabilities, which were, to you alluded to this, but our capabilities in technology, but we could do the consumer technology with a blank sheet of paper, our 150 years of financial services experience and things like risk and compliance, our scale, which is our ability to invest, but also the balance sheet, which provides the ability to provide things like credit and great relationships with people like Apple and GM. And that's how we ultimately came up with the strategies, which, which I talked about earlier in terms of going direct and what we call financial cloud. And, you know, just to go back to your like very specific question on like, you know, are we trying to take these customers and turn them into Goldman Sachs customers? They are Goldman Sachs customers. Um, they are part of Goldman Sachs and we are really excited to serve them with the best of Goldman Sachs digitally. And of course, you know, people want access to an advisor. We have businesses that do that and we're really excited to do that as well. But in, in Marcus and in Consumer, we want to bring the best of Goldman Sachs's capability to them directly on their phone, wherever they are and however they want to be served. Great. That makes a lot of sense. So I'm glad that you talked about inclusive capitalism um, because, you know, one of the more notable uh, pronouncements from your boss, uh, Goldman Chair and CEO David Salman, was uh, that Goldman was only going to be willing to take companies public if they had um, at least one woman on their board. Um, and it's also, um, I think, no accident that you've also been uh, anointed uh, to the operating committee. I think Goldman has, you know, a growing number of um, excellent women at the firm. I know many of them, um, but it says something entirely different to have someone at the operating committee level. I wonder if you might reflect a little bit on how Goldman is really trying to make good on this idea of inclusive capitalism when it comes to forms of identity, gender identity, uh, race and ethnicity, et cetera? It's a, it's a great point, a great question. I'm glad um, you're drilling in on it. The, you know, what, again, in my role as chief strategy officer, the way that we, we talk about it then, and certainly the way we're talking about it now, is that inclusion and diversity are absolutely strategic imperatives. They are not only, of course, the right thing to do, but it is the only way to run the business. And we're going to be better if we do that. 
And in order to do that, you've got to do a couple of things. One, it affects how you manage your own people. So how you recruit, you retain, and you develop your own people. And there are many things that we're doing around that. But it also gets to the way of how you serve your clients. Because for us, like this is a business and a strategic imperative. And the thing I say all the time is that you can't talk about these things in two different places. You can't have two different meetings where you talk about market share and growth and and margins. And then you have another meeting where you talk about diversity. You have to talk about all that in one place because it's the only way to win, but it's also the only way to serve customers and ultimately help them achieve their goals. And so, you know, one of the things we certainly talk about is the board initiative, which is that we weren't going to take companies public unless they have at least one diverse board member. It's going to be two this year. And the reality is that is the right advice for our clients. If they want to build companies that are going to succeed, having diverse voices around the table is one of the most important things that they can do. The other place that we've been embedding it is very deeply in our investing businesses, because what we noticed was that inclusive and diverse teams outperformed and they were underinvested in. And so 85% of all venture capital dollars goes to all male founded teams, Mm -hmm. 99, over 99% goes to all white teams. And besides those numbers being kind of horrific, they are a misallocation of capital. And so we have this situation where you have an underinvested asset class and they're going to out return. And that's like, you never see that, right? The world is a washing capital and you never see that. And so we created launch with GS, which was our commitment to closing the diversity investing gap where we said we were going to invest in companies founded, owned, and led by diverse founders and diverse management, and that we were going to invest behind diverse managers because you needed to get money in the hands of diverse managers so that they could get money in the hands of diverse companies, and that we were going to build an ecosystem around it. And I raise all of that because it's really important that this idea of inclusion and diversity gets to every level of the organization and people realize how deeply embedded it is in your business and your strategy. And Launch with GS is an example. The board initiative is an example, but there are many others. Got it. I'm I'm realizing through this conversation that uh, you're really a culture builder, um, that that's clearly a very important part of your role and has been you've only been in this new role for, you know, just a few months. Um, and we've talked a fair bit about the great work you did when you were chief strategy officer, um, starting in 2018. And it sounds like you had to do a lot of learning because your time at Goldman, which is long, had largely been in a variety of M&A roles. Uh, and so you didn't, uh, get into this uh, chief strategy officer role with a really clear job description um, and that you knew that you needed to listen uh, and learn from the rest of the businesses, um, but that also you needed to learn about consumers, uh, given that a growing part of the bank strategy was Marcus. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about uh, when you joined as chief strategy officer in that role um, what you did to listen and learn about both the parts of the business that you might have been less familiar with, but also um, the end user, if you will, particularly consumers in Marcus, you've talked a lot about um, the role you're in now is really about people. Um, and I think there's a lot to learn about 
um, how culture builders do that. Uh, because I think a lot about the importance of stepping outside of our silos, that that's where, and, and, and that relates to the comments that you made about diversity, right? Getting out of our silos, hearing from other people, other perspectives we might not hear from otherwise, and then finding the interconnections. So talk a little bit about how you do that as a leader. Yeah, it's, I love it. And it's the advice um, I give people all the time. So when I started as chief strategy officer, I had, of course, that realization that you said exactly, which is, okay, I've been in Goldman Sachs like 17, 18 years, and um, I've been sitting in the investment bank, and I've learned a lot, but there is a lot about what we even do at Goldman Sachs that I don't understand. And then to your point, the clients and the customers in those businesses that were ultimately serving. So I went on a listening tour. I did that internally, and I also did it externally. Um, it was a pre-COVID time period. So <laughs> I actually, I got, I got on a plane a lot. And, and you know, it, it kind of reminds you of how important getting on the plane and, and seeing people yeah. in person and experiencing them in their environment really is. And so, and so I did that. I did a lot of it. And a couple of the things that um, I just think are a little bit of tricks in doing this and I love learning. My mom's a teacher and it's just something I'm a lifelong learner. Uh, mm. But I would sit in meetings and just like be like, you know, I'm sorry, like I'm just going to ask this like from the most basic level. And to this point of financial services being really complicated, I think lots of people sit in a lot of meetings and everyone else thinks that everyone else understands something and they actually don't. And so I would be that person who was like, you know, please just like explain this to me from the base level. And when you get to that base level, you actually start to understand not only the products and how they're all executed, but how it affects an end customer. And so, so I did that and I mirrored that with my people. And you know, that really created an environment where no one's afraid to ask kind of the dumb question because Stephanie's always asking the dumb question um, because I really wanted to learn. And you know, in this new role in particular, but I was doing some of this as chief strategy officer, but now doing much more of it, I think you really have to figure out how you can listen to customers directly. And the question is like, how do you do that at scale, right? So there's the customer calls, which I love listening to. I mean, some of my my favorite ones have been, we, we created a customer assistance program right as COVID was starting to help people so that they could defer loan payments and, and credit card payments and just listening to why it mattered to them, why, how we set it up made it easier for them, and then how it affected their lives going forward. And by the way, how it made them actually better customers over time because we got them through a really tough period. There are just so many things that you learn from the richness of those individual conversations. But, but by the way, you can't do that always at scale. And so the next question is like, how do you listen to the data? Like, how do you look at the data in a way that really helps you? And so, you know, one of the things, you know, we've, we've tried, and it's a new skill actually inside of Goldman, which is this experimentation, like figuring out what, how what you're doing is affecting people. And one of the things that we kind of put out there in the wild was this idea of being able to pay your credit card bill multiple times a month in the mm -hmm. Apple card. And honestly, like, no, we didn't really know exactly what that was going to look and feel like, but what we figured out is actually people really do like it. And we think it does help people better manage their finances. So that's not something anyone told us to do. So we didn't listen in terms of having a conversation, but we watched 
the way that customers are interacting with our product and we're learning from that. So, you know, listening is the most important thing that I do. I'm doing it. I'm doing it every day. Um, we do it internally. We do it externally. And, and, you know, the last thing I'll say on it is um, I love going to visit our offices outside of the U.S., particularly in places like Asia because they're in a different place as it relates to the development of financial services. There are places where they're ahead and there are places where they're behind. And actually seeing that in a different environment, I think, is another really interesting way to, to listen to, to what the world may become and to listen to ways that we can do things differently and better. We could have a whole conversation, you and me, just on this topic. So let's do that another time. I really enjoyed hearing about, about how you go about listening um, you also have mentioned to me before that when you became the chief strategy officer, the very first book you read was The Unbanking of America. And I have to say, I was a little bit surprised um, that that was the book you chose. T- tell me more about, about that choice and sort of what you learned from it. Yeah, the I think it's this idea of being a learner. You know, the it was it was in some respects kind of an embarrassing realization to have worked in financial services for almost two decades and to realize that I didn't understand how the financial system operated. And there were really complicated parts of the financial system that I understood from a capital markets perspective, but from a day-to-day, how does an average American experience the financial services system? I really felt like I, I I hadn't learned it. And so I found the book and it was you know, very incredibly interesting, but also like devastating in so many different ways because it was very clear that the financial system was not working for most people. And so while, you know, the, there's a lot of sadness in that, you know, we're hopefully, you know, the idea is like turning that into opportunity. You know, my, my team, I, I talk about this all this time. It's like getting to yes way, which is like you see a problem and instead of showing up with a problem, you show up with the solution and you work your way through the solution. And so reading The Unbanking of America was kind of an emotional journey for me, which was that I can't believe I don't know this. Wow, this is like so devastating. And then, you know, we're going to we're going to be part of fixing this and we're going to have to work with a lot of people to, to fix it because the financial system is this intertwined organism. And so we're not going to do that on our own. And there's so many different organizations and Jen, your organization is one of them where, you know, how can we all work together to, to try to fix this? Yeah, you know, uh, I love that that you had that um, visceral experience from the book, and particularly given the role you're in now. And it will be interesting to think about how you leverage your um, vast capabilities and capital. Uh, I, I, I suspect that there's there's only so far a brand like Marcus can go. Uh, in terms of uh, meeting the needs of uh, underserved consumers. Um, and so I, I would expect that some of this will end up being, as you said, uh, not necessarily directly, but through, through partners. Do you, have, do you have any ideas or things you've thought about in terms of how to leverage your capabilities uh, in this regard? Yeah, I think that is, as we think about these like, two self-reinforcing strategies that we're pr- pursuing consumer, that's one of the I think the really hopefully great ideas we have around it, which is that there's a specific type of customer that's the Marcus customer. And hopefully, again, that that's millions of customers that, that we will speak to and, and we can be helpful to. But then there are customers that are General Motors customers and that are Apple customers. And that, that's much broader. 
and what do they need and how can we serve them and how can we serve them where they are with the capabilities of Goldman Sachs? Because maybe the content or, for example, we have something called Marcus Insights, which helps people aggregate their accounts and really provide insights into how they're spending their money and better budget. And, you know, there's a way to do that for a Marcus customer, but maybe there's over time a different way to do that for a General Motors customer or others that we partner with. And so I do think this idea of bringing the best of Goldman Sachs' corporate franchise and the relationships we have with those brands and then taking these, in many cases, digital capabilities we've built in the consumer business and embedding them into those ecosystems in a way that serves their customers I think is one of the ways that we can access this much broader audience. Got it. Well, this is one of the most um, exciting versions of quote unquote embedded finance that I've heard about in a long time. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see how that, that develops. Now I have to turn the conversation a little bit back to you for a minute because you're a lifer at Goldman Sachs. Um, you uh, went there right out of graduating from the University of Illinois um, and you've experienced a tremendous amount of success. I mentioned at the top, um, you're the youngest member of the bank's management committee. Um, you're um, one of the few women who's risen to that level. Um, talk, talk to me a little bit about um, how that's happened. Certainly you're gifted and talented. I suspect there's also something to it about the moment we're living in, um, the era we're living in, you know, and how do you feel about essentially being a change agent in this way? So I'm going to start by saying that, you know, I've gotten to where I am today because there are amazing people, you know, inside of Goldman Sachs and outside of Goldman Sachs who have been tremendously helpful to me. Um, I often say that that feedback is a gift. And I had a lot of people who gave me a lot of feedback along the way. Um, and I've, and I've thought a lot about this because as you change into a new role, you have to think about what are the things that have helped you to be successful and then how do you take that into your next role because you can't do things exactly the same way. And, and I talked to you about three things that I think have helped me and the, the teams around me be successful. One is this mindset about making everyone around you better um, and that we're kind of better together. And it's this really focused teamwork partnership orientation that I think I learned at, at Goldman Sachs. I'm certain that I had it before, but it's really deeply ingrained in the Goldman Sachs culture. But I happen to naturally be, you know, I guess what Adam Grant would, would describe as a giver. I didn't have that term before, but as a giver, meaning I end a lot of conversations with like, how can I be most helpful to you? And I do try to give people really direct feedback because I think it's the way to make them better in their own careers. And so I think that I've Know, learned over time that while being an individual contributor and being really fantastic at what you do, actually the way to really get stuff done is make everyone around you better. And so I, I would really, I would like kind of exclamation point on that point. The, the second thing is this kind of get stuff done attitude. You know, the, it's funny because as chief strategy officer, people, you know, do this, like, do you sit around and just have really big thoughts? And <laughs> No, you know, that the whole, you know, ideas are really nice, but it's about execution. And when we, you know, and when I was in my role as chief strategy officer, we created this thing called Accelerate, which we call our internal innovation engine. But what it really was, was it was where people went when they had really great ideas and they just wanted to get it done. And so this real focus on execution, which I no doubt learned by being a mergers and acquisitions banker inside of Goldman Sachs, 
And then the last thing was what we've already talked about, um, which is being like super curious and kind of asking a, a million questions and really want to learn things from the from the base level. Um, ultimately, I think that's I think that's like to your point on this moment in time. I think we're in a place where the world is changing so fast that knowing like every single thing about like history is important. And my mom, who is like a history teacher at some point and like really cares about history and I love history and read it, like it's important, but the world is changing so fast that just being someone who like analyzes what's happened historically and trying to put that on the future, I think doesn't really work. And I do think we're in this moment of have a lot of people around you, have them continuously getting better, be focused on execution and kind of getting stuff done, but being constantly learning in the process. I do think we're in this moment where that's like this really perfect combination for the type of world that we're in. By the way, that's only been sped up over the last year or so, given everything that's gone on. Yeah. I'm a big question asker too. I'm actually a former journalist. And I think uh, in some ways, in this podcast is an outgrowth of uh, my curious nature. Um, you, it turns out, I learned, um, were once a competitive figure skater growing up. How has that influenced you or what lessons have you taken from that um, at, in your leadership uh, roles at Goldman? So much, like in so many ways. Um, the one, it's like this kind of practical thing, which is that if you're a competitive figure skater and you know, you're know you going to school and you're trying to do other things, you know, you're waking up for the 5.45 a.m. skating, skating before school, going to school, skating after school, getting homework done. So you pack a lot into a day. Um, and so I think it's this, you know, how do you, how do you do that in a way where you're, you're excelling at things and, and doing something that you really love, but combining it with all the other things that you have going on in your life and balancing it. So I think I learned that at a really young age. Second, like in kind of a, a funny way, there, there's not much things that are hard and scary after you've lived with the you and alone center of the ice, you know, audience in front of you, judges behind you, like a couple minutes to like do something that you've practiced for, you know, hours upon hours. Um, so not much is scary after that. And then, you know, I think the most important thing is this idea of being willing to try and realize in the act of trying, it's not going to be perfect right away. And so in skating, you fall like all the time. Like I used to get off the ice from practices and be like soaking wet because you just start cleaning up the ice, falling, because mm -hmm. it's the only way to learn a new skill. And I remember these moments of like falling really hard and like, you know, your parents, your coaches, like, oh my, you know, wow, like, are you okay? And being really happy because you could tell that you were like almost there. You like, you're like, just like one more inch. And like, I would have landed that jump. And, and so kind of being happy with that rather than it being a negative it being a positive, I think it's like one of the most important life lessons and figure skating teaches you that in spades. Stephanie Cohen, culture builder, lifelong learner. Thanks so much for joining me on Emerge Everywhere. Thanks, Jen. This has been Emerge Everywhere, a Financial Health Network production. I'm Jennifer Tesher, and I'd love to hear your ideas for future guests and your reactions to the show. You can connect with me on Twitter at Jen Tesher. If you liked this episode, please review the show and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about the work and research we do, please visit emerge.finhealthnetwork.org. See you next time.